One of my favorite musicians is Bob Dylan because, well, I grew up in a time period where that was an accepted substitute for a personality. But, you know, self-digs aside, he is really an interesting musician, not least of which because there is a inconsistency in his character. He seems to not want to be the same person for a long period of time. He starts out his career doing a basically a Woody Guthrie impression with, you know, folk songs and uh, political protest songs, and then all of a sudden he goes electric, uh, becomes a rock singer, uh, yields a bunch of controversy in the process, and then all of a sudden he gets into a motorcycle crash, and then, you know, uh, he's in a basement for a while, and then you have blood on the tracks, and then the 1980s becomes Christian for a little bit, and then he's, you know, old man who's singing with a raspy voice. There's a lot of different Bob Dylans, and the fact that makes him so interesting is that he doesn't seem to want you to pick one. In fact, a couple of years ago, uh, maybe more than a couple of years ago, I'm getting old, uh, there was a movie called I'm Not There, based on one of the songs from the Basement Tapes, uh, which was never officially released, but I, I'm a nerd. Uh, and uh, it actually had a number of different actors playing Bob Dylan, uh, including Kate Blanchett, who was actually really, really good. Um, I think, uh, from what I can remember of the movie, it was, it was okay. The Kate Blanchett parts were good. Uh, the other actors were, like, kind of boring. I think Ben Wishaw was actually pretty good in that. Uh, but the point is, he has been different people to different uh, to different people at different times in his career. And the one thing that seems to be consistent throughout Bob Dylan's career is that he doesn't want to be one person. He doesn't want to be understood. So with that, let's talk about Rav Yitzchak Kuttner. This is a new podcast from Misfit Torah. We're calling it Padchad Yitzchak. Uh, grateful to Abigail Halpern for the name. Uh, and the goal here is is to have a guest every couple of weeks or so, however many I can get and in what time period I can get them, uh, to come on and talk about their favorite piece of Pachad Yitzchak. I almost said Pachad Yitzchak. The name is pretty catchy. Um, and the reason why this is so interesting to me is that I'm purposely not going to do a biographical sketch of Ruf Huttner here, because that sort of detracts from the point. What makes Ruf Huttner so interesting to me is that most thinkers have fallen into a box of some sort, or come from a specific background, or have a box that you, you know, everybody doesn't want to fit into a box, everybody's like, I'm an out-of-the-box thinker, but, you know, there's boxes, and you can put them into a box. Rav Soloveitchik is, you know, within the tradition of Lithuanian thinkers and within the Western tradition of existentialists. The Lubavitcher Rebbe is within the tradition of Hasidic Rebbe's. You know, uh, you know, there's, you know, Lithuanians, uh, Lithuanian Rishi Yeshiva, there's uh, Heschel, who's a Hasidic Rebbe, uh, you know, within the Hasidic tradition, but he's also, you know, coming from a less halachic angle. Uh, people have boxes that you can basically fit them in. Rav is not like that. Rav not only does he not have a box, he seems to dare you to put him into a box and then doesn't get into a box. The amount of places and people that Rav was in that he could have been influenced in, influenced by is unique. 
Uh, he was prone to saying that, uh, like Adam Harishon, I was gathered up from the four corner, from the dust of the four corners of the earth, and it's very hard to figure out who he was. Right? Who was he? Was he the Rav Yitzchak Kuner, who was the prominent Haredi Rosh Yeshiva, Yeshiva's Rabbeinu Chaim Berlin in Brooklyn? Maybe he was Isaac Kuttner, philosophy student at University of Berlin, author of a critical edition of an obscure commentary on Midrash Halacha. Is he the head of a Lithuanian-style yeshiva and adherent to the practices of Vilna Gaon, the famed opponent of the Hasidic movement? Or is he perhaps the descendant of Kutzker Hasidim, who adopted Hasidic manners of dress, emphasized the experiential aspects of Judaism, traditionally a Hasidic idea, and ran his school in the authoritarian style of a Hasidic Rebbe? Was he an authoritarian? Or was he an individualist who insisted on being judged as an individual and, had, and individuality was a big part of his philosophy? Maybe he was a graduate of the Sabatka Yeshiva, an imbiber of the Musser tradition? Or maybe he was and part of the Slobodka tradition that emphasized the greatness man is capable of? Or maybe he was the young yeshiva student who learned under Rav Cook, Or the Haredi ideologue who blamed the Holocaust and Zionism and banished Rav Cook for, uh, a picture from Rav Cook, of Rav Cook from his sukkah? Was he a condemner of secular studies? Or a polymath who spoke innumerable languages and enjoyed the opera? He was all of these and none of these. He was a complex tapestry of a person woven together from disparate strands of an intellectual history. And that's kind of what makes him so fun. The thing that, and getting from the intellectual history here to just me personally, the way that I learn is by putting things in boxes, by, you know, seeing, okay, I understand where, what tradition this person was coming from. I understand this person's influences and I understand the, you know, vocabulary that they use. And that's going to, you know, uh, that's going to help me cheat to understand who they were. Rafutner dares you to do that and then laughs when he doesn't fit. He's, you have to keep your mind open no matter what when you're learning Rafutner. You have to always be telling yourself, no, he could actually be saying that. Like there are times, and I'll get into this when I read the thing that I want to read, where you're saying, no, he can't be saying that. There are notes in my, in my copies of uh, Pachad Yitzchak where I write in the notes there, I don't understand, no one says that. And I revisit it like three years later, and it's like, no, no, that's, that's what he was saying. Yeah, you understood it correctly. It's just he was saying something, you know, beyond what you thought was possible. Um, yeah, he was a Haredi Guttle, but like, when you look at what he, the kind of ideas that he was saying, he's shocking in his boldness and uh, the influences he may be reflecting, but he doesn't want you to know. He, this is a person who went so far as to never quote a Hasidic source in his entire in, his, in the entire Pachat Yitzchak, which is shocking considering the very obvious influence of Ritzvah Kohen, uh, the you know his family background, right? But he never quoted a Hasidic source because he was a Lithuanian Rosh Yeshiva who came from a you know Lithuanian Yeshiva training, right? He was somebody who cared very very deeply about the image that he projected. But he also wanted you to know that he was beyond the image that he projected. Um, I learned with uh, Dr. Yaakov Elman um, about Rafutner. He had a class, and he was a student of Rafutner. And one of the insights that he gave me to Rafutner, which I think is really interesting, is that uh, he would say that the difference between Rav Soloveitchik and Rafutner is that Rafutner did not have the Soloveitchik last name. 
by which he means he didn't have the background. He came from a non-rabbinic family. He didn't have the, you know, um, background to be able to say, no, 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 I can do I can do all this Western learning. I can do all that because you guys know I'm from and you guys know that I have that uh, my family's rabbis, whatever. He came out of nowhere. He was the, you know, the Warsaw Eloy. Um, but he wants you to know how smart he is, but he doesn't want you to. He wants he wants you to earn it. I remember saying that in the Dr. Elman's class, and he, he smiled and went like, yes, yes, he wants you to earn it. Uh, it's deeply challenging to learn him. It engages me on the level of my weaknesses. I'm, I'm very lazy. That, you know, uh, reading, uh, that uh, putting in boxes is a, you know, product of my laziness. Uh, I like to go into something with a basic idea of what I'm dealing with. But you can't do that with Ruf Huttner. You have to be patient. You have to be thorough. And you have to cultivate the ability to allow Ruf Huttner to surprise you. Because when you read him carefully, he can really shock you with the boldness of his ideas and, the, and a boldness that he seems to have concealed behind the artistry of his rabbinic prose. His, his command of rabbinic Hebrew, and I, I say rabbinic Hebrew as distinct from, like, biblical Hebrew, as distinct from, like, Israeli Hebrew. This mishmash of, you know, Hebrew taken from various sources with Aramaic in it, just, you know, grabbing whatever source that he can. Uh, just the master of it. Just, uh, you know... And coming from with all these eclectic, uh, you know, background, the background and influences, uh, it's just fun to read because you don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to show, I'm going to read to you. And I'll give you the background here. Okay, um, I, I occasionally get um, people who want to learn with me, uh, and I'm terrible at this. Uh, I am very bad at keeping appointments, and uh, typically what will happen is I learn with somebody once, and then they say, oh, that was good, let's do it again, and I never do it again. Uh, this was one of those times. Uh, my cousin, <clears throat> Jonas, Jonas Seeger, uh, if you're, Jonah, if you're listening, hi, uh, said, oh, I want to learn something with you. And I said, okay, because uh, that's the thing I learned. And he said, okay. So I went to the YU base Medrash, and uh, we opened up, and we picked the shortest Pachad Yitzchak on Purim we could find. It is one paragraph. Okay? <clears throat> and I'm going to read it to you. Okay? Yom Nakam Bilibi. This is a quote. Vamur Chacham Malzeh, Liba Lefuma Logalia. The Chachamim say on this, uh, the, the rabbis say on this, the, the mouth to the uh, heart, uh, the, the, the heart to the mouth was not revealed. Kilomar, as if to say, Oto yom shebo atir hakadosh baruch nikom nikmatash el knesset Yisrael, as if to say that that day that Hashem in the future will, uh, <clears throat> will have his revenge on, uh, uh, will have his revenge for the, uh, the knesset Yisrael, the, uh, the, the people of Israel. Uh, that day is is etched, uh, carved. Um, you know, trying to find Na'utz is like uh, you know, planted uh, in the in the the heart of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, of of God. Kiviyachal. Okay, Kiviyachal is an important term here. Okay, Kiviyachal. If you're not familiar with this term, it means you know the where the allegory that we are saying about Hashem is uh, you know just an allegory, right? So he's saying this day uh, is is uh, planted in, uh, in Hashem's heart, kibiyachol. The ganuz who oto yom bimam ke hatalumashel oto lev, and it is hidden in the 
<coughs> depths and the, the hidden depths of that heart. Until it does not reach uh, any revelation to the mouth, right? This this uh, this day that Hashem will uh, avenge Himself upon the enemies of Israel will uh, is uh, so deeply planted in God's heart, that it is not revealed to His mouth, Yes, I know my Hebrew pronunciation is incredibly inconsistent. I grew up Ashkenazi uh, and then went to yeshiva and learned Rav Kook with somebody who spoke in an Israeli accent. Okay. Uh, And all this is in the rest of the year. But on the uh, day of Purim that the Jews have gathered to uh, avenge themselves on their enemies, this revenge is also the revenge of Kiviachal. Now it is important to note, and this is what was confusing me and uh, my cousin, or my wife's cousin, as things may be, uh, is uh, the the vengeance of Kiviachal, right? Uh, Kiviachal in Hasidic sources is uh, sort of a stand-in for God. It's not just like an, uh, an adjective you add on, after after you know saying something allegorical, it is you know itself means God. <clears throat> but hold on to that, you'll see. On this day, the barrier between the heart and the mouth of Kiviyachol falls. The heart of God of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, is uh, in close, uh, incredibly close to his mouth on the day of Purim. And this is one of the tastes, one of the uh, one of the tastes that we taste in the drunkenness of Purim. And this, and because the what drunkenness does is a what the the situation of drunkenness is is the situation of the removal of the barriers between the heart and the mouth, liba lufumagalia. Right uh, uh, begins with the thing that he quoted at the beginning. the The heart is revealed to the mouth. Okay, so seems pretty cryptic. Seems pretty mysterious. Okay, and then the thing that was bothering me and my wife's cousin was, what's this Kiviyachal thing? I wasn't aware at the time that Kiviyachal was a uh, stand-in for God. But that ended up helping me out. Okay, because watch what he does. Okay, the Kiviyachal here is important. Okay. The rabbinic term, Kiviyachal is the rabbinic term to denote that a description of God is meant to be taken as metaphor, which you know, dampens down the heretical potential of something, right? It's, you know, God is uh, striking down our enemies. Whoa, that's pretty heretical. You're ascribing to God a body. Kiviachal, oh, okay. You know, God is opening the door. Oh, God opens doors? I thought the Ram says that you can't say anything about God. Kiviachal, oh, okay, right? Um, <clears throat> you know, God's hand lifted the man up and took him to heaven. But Kiviachal, right? Uh Watch how he uses the term kiviachal. 
Okay, first couple of lines, he's using the term kibyachal to describe the notion of God's heart and God's mouth being in partition, and using it fairly typically, as rabbinic writing goes. Kilomar, oto yom shabo atid hakadosh baruchu linkom nikmata shel knesset Yisrael, oto yom neutzil bilvavo shel hakadosh baruchu kibyachal, Right, it is planted in God's heart, as if to say, Kibiachal, the Ganozu Oto Yom Bimamke Hatulumashal Otelev, and it is hidden in the depths the hidden depths of that heart. Uh until it is not revealed until there is no revelation of it to the mouth. Kibiachal. Right? Day of vengeance is referred to by Yeshaya and is in God's heart, Kibiachal, is not revealed to his mouth, Kibiachal. Right? Fairly typical usage. Then he introduces Purim. And this is all in the rest of the year. On the day that the Jews come to avenge themselves on their enemies, it is the vengeance... When the Jews gather to avenge themselves on their enemies, nikamazohi, I'm, I'm stressing this just so you can hear it, nikamazohi gam nikmato shel kibiyachal. This vengeance, you can read it as Hashem, but read it as this vengeance is also the vengeance of kibiyachal. It's not modifying a clause here. It's not making, you know, the vengeance referred to one which is only metaphorical. It is a vengeance of shel kibiyachal, of kibiyachal. The vengeance belongs to or is of Kiviachal. It's an odd clause, but hold on. On this day, Rafunder continues, the partition between the heart and the mouth of Kiviachal falls. Right? The parti- So here's what he's saying, I think. The partition between God's heart and God's mind is... The division between the God that we imagine and the God that we intellectually comprehend is what is overcome on Purim. This is, this is a little nuts, right? You're saying that the idea that uh, the, 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 the allegorical thing that we add to all of our descriptions of God, that is the thing that is uh, being dividing between God's heart and God's mind, right? But read the next line. The heart of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is, close, is incredibly close to his mouth, what's not in here? Kiviachal. Right? On Purim, the allegory drops. The rabbinic qualifier or divine metaphor that he used in the opening of this very mamar with this very metaphor, it's gone. Then he explains Drinking. Drinking blurs barriers, not only between Baruch Mordechai and Arahman, but between our cognition and our emotion, our intellectual and philosophical comprehension of God's limits, and our imaginative depictions of God's actuality, all stemming from the blurring of the lines between our in-progress, imperfect world and the perfected world where good has triumphed over evil, a day that God winked at us through the veil of history and we caught a glimpse. 
This is, I'm, I wrote this before, but whatever. Uh, a day in which we break free from the constraints of Kibbe Yuchel, of the, you know, the, the, the glasses that we wear that put everything as like an allegory, and apprehend God for a brief moment as physical reality. And a day in which we, in an act of imitatio uh, day, I don't know how to pronounce that. I'm modern Orthodox. I only read that. Whatever. Uh, remove the barriers between our hearts and our mouths for ourselves. Shechem matzav hashichud hu matzav shel siluk hamechitzot ben hapev And then watch how he concludes the mamar. He takes the the expression that started it, liba lufuma logalia. Right, and then he says, "Liba lufuma galia." At the end of the at the end of it, the heart is revealed to uh, is revealed to the mouth. Right, now this is insane. If you're expecting Rafutner to be a nice Lithuanian yeshiva bacher or a nice Lithuanian yeshiva, rosh yeshiva, the idea that allegory is a barrier between us and our understanding of God is is crazy. But I can't read it any way else. That's what he's saying here. And he's doing it not by telling us directly. He's doing it literarily. He's doing it by seeding a word in there and then hoping you pay attention to how he uses it in the rest of the Mamar. It's a, it's a self-contained literary uh, unit in which he is making a point by the way in which he's putting it, right? This is, he is demanding a level of attention and a level of scrutiny that I don't think any other 20th century, you know, modern thinker is going, is going to demand. Rosalvechik does not demand that you pay attention to the exact words that he is using, Right? You have to pay attention when you're learning Rav Hutner. You have to pay attention to every word, and you can't let yourself think, no, he wouldn't say that. He would say anything. There's nothing you you, you got to banish from your mind, the idea that there's something that he wouldn't say. Right? I have particularly good memories of this piece because I sent it to Dr. Elman, uh, and... Um, you know, uh, he messaged me. First of all, he I, I had written it on my blog, and he wrote me back, oh, this is very good. And then he read, like, the rest of my blog and then sent comments on it. Um, and then he sent it to uh, a email, uh, a person who sends out an email with, like, a wrap-up of, like, um, you know, academic articles. And then uh, the next time I came to class, he's like, here's the, here's the handouts. You teach the class. Um so, you know, good memories about that because uh, Dr. Ellen was somebody who believed in uh, promoting his students. Uh, and I was only in his class for a short amount of time. Uh, but uh, I'm grateful that he gave a, a kid like me a little bit of confidence. Um, but my main point here is that what makes this piece, what makes Rafutner and this piece so good is that it demands your full attention. It demands you throw away any sort of preconceived notions that you began with, including your own theology, including your expectations of a nice Lithuanian yeshiva bacher, right? And it demands that you just take him at his word. 
and it demand, and this is somebody who wants to be understood but wants you to earn it right he wants you to get the point that he's saying but he wants you to pay attention to get it uh and there's there's a person and the thing that comes across most is this is you know i can get into like the biographical sketch i can get into like all sorts of things about him but like this is a human being who had this desire to be heard uh and put it down onto paper uh for us to find and it's just cool and uh i look forward to discussing uh other people's favorite pieces of pakhariusuk with other people uh hopefully we can turn this into something uh, pretty interesting and uh yeah <clears throat> uh that's that's the piece i like uh i don't know what we're going to do when we have longer pieces um We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Yep, that's it. All right, this has been the first episode of Pad Chad Yitzchak. And uh, yeah, we'll see what happens next.